Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, March 4th, 2021. Well, if you look at the intersection, really, of religion and politics or culture over the last couple decades, you'll see where one of the points where those topics all seem to come together a lot has been the subject of same-sex marriage. Or now it's kind of getting broadened to include uh, issues related to transgenderism or really anything in the whole LGBTQ plus uh, array of issues. And there's going to be a lot of friction and a lot of conflict when we think about religion and politics and culture in those things. And I think it's only going to increase more and more as our culture in their terms progresses. And every Christian is going to need to be able to answer and defend what do they think? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? What does the Bible teach about sex and gender? What does the Bible say about marriage? And we're going to need to be able to defend our positions on these things. And increasingly, there's going to become more and more pressure from our culture that is going to say, agree with our agenda. And if you hold to kind of a traditional understanding of what the Bible teaches, you are out of the mainstream. And even more and more, you're out of line, out of step with the culture and what you think is unacceptable. And one line that I have heard so many times in all of these issues as they have been discussed, especially when it comes to the Bible and religion, whether it's issues of transgenderism or issues of homosexuality or same-sex marriage, one thing you are going to hear people say to you is, well, Jesus never talked about it. Why is the church so bent on talking about these issues when Jesus never talked about it? And today the question I want to ask is, is that true? Did Jesus really never talk about these issues that we see so much in the headlines in our own time? Uh, or did, Is Jesus kind of nebulous on this? If Jesus were around today, what would he be saying? And sure, Jesus might not have addressed these issues in a way where he's using some of the same terms that we see discussed in headlines and in our culture today. But if you have read the Bible reading for today from Revival from the Bible, you know better than to go along with basically the lie that is being told that Jesus never addressed these issues. Let's look today at Matthew chapter 19, and I think this is a critical passage for every Christian to think through and to even have on the tip of their tongue as you get into discussions about some of these issues. In Matthew 19, the the topic that comes up is divorce, but in this answer, again, while Same-sex marriage was not an issue at the front of the headlines in the time of Christ. Transgenderism was probably something that was unthought of in most people's minds. But Jesus says so much in this answer that I think he gives very clear answers that Christians can still believe and defend today. In verse 3, it says, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? 
He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So right there, Jesus says a lot in this passage. He addresses gender. He addresses marriage. And I think he speaks in terms that are very clear. And while he might not use some of the modern terms, I think he tells us what we need to know about these things. He says from the beginning, God has created them male and female. It seems that God is pretty clear and Jesus is pretty clear in what he says about sex and gender. We also see Jesus define marriage as a union between one man and one woman for life. So next time somebody says, why why are Christians making such a big stink about some of these issues? Jesus never talked about them. Open up your Bible to Matthew 19 and say, oh, really? Jesus never talked about these things? What about this right here? And I think Jesus does address these issues, not just um, ambiguously. I think he addresses them very clearly. And so as Christians, we need to be able to defend the Bible's teaching here. And again, I think it's wrong, even it's inaccurate to say that it's the church that's hung up on these issues. I think it is the culture that keeps driving to these issues. And I think that's what we're going to see more and more, where there is going to be more and more pressure brought on churches, brought on Christian institutions, brought on Christian people and employees to somehow sign off on the culture's agenda. And more and more pressure even bring being brought in the form of persecution, that if people don't go along with the progressive agenda of our culture, that people will be left behind or left out or put aside for views that are antiquated and old and bigoted. When no, we're defending what the Bible says. And so every Christian needs to be prepared to take a stand on these issues. And we need to see from this passage, no, this is something that Jesus has clearly addressed. I don't think there's anything left unclear in the words of Jesus in Matthew 19. And I think we, when we look at the clear teaching of Scripture, God has been very clear about male and female. God has been clear about marriage and what his design for that is. And Christians should be filled with resolve that we will not cave in to the demands of our culture, but we will stand firm on the word of God and on the teachings of Jesus Christ. But I think there's a few other things that we should glean from this passage today. And even you've heard phrases, especially over the last couple decades, even like the war on marriage, right? As the whole same-sex marriage agenda was discussed and eventually approved by the Supreme Court of the United States. And one thing I want us to just realize from this passage as well is that the war on marriage began long before any discussion was really prevalent about same-sex marriage. What's the issue that did bring this discussion up in the life of Jesus? It was the issue of divorce. And really, even if you look at American society, we see marriage beginning to crumble uh, long before the issue at the forefront was same-sex marriage. And so Christians, we should step back and realize that while 
these issues of the LGBTQ agenda are being put more on the forefront of the headlines and the culture, we need to realize there are other issues that as Christians we do need to care about. And I think this passage should make us really examine our commitment to marriage as a whole. And are we honoring marriage the way Christ taught? And that we should see divorce as another enemy against God's design in marriage. Jesus says very clearly there, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And that should be a warning to us, especially those of you that are married. One thing you should be applying from this passage is not just a resolve to stand for Christ in the culture. It should be a resolve to invest in your own marriage and to make sure your marriage is healthy and strong and right and good. Uh, As Christians, we need to care about those things as well. And we need to not just uh, stand up for uh, Christian truth in our culture. We need to really live it out in our homes and make sure that what we are preaching really matches up with how we are living in our own lives. So let that also be a challenge to us as we consider this passage. May it be not just an opportunity for us to consider how we should interact with our culture, although I think that's a very valid application of this passage. May it also get us to look in the mirror and say, God, am I living out your design uh, that you lay out so clearly in this passage. And also, as we think through our culture and we think through all that's going on and the direction that our culture is headed and how concerning that may be, yes, we, we must be bold. I think we must not back down. We must not pivot on the truth of God's word and what Jesus even clearly teaches on these issues. But also that there is a message that our world needs to hear that we must also be very adamant in proclaiming. And we're going to see more about that message in Psalm 32 verses 1 through 5. Psalm 32 verses 1 through 5. And here it begins by saying, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There's a message of forgiveness. We call it the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And that through turning from our sin and putting faith, our faith in him, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that there is complete forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ. This is good news. And one, we need to not skip over this for ourselves, because even as we look out at a culture that is getting worse and worse and more sinful and more sinful, there is, there is none of us that can stand up and say, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, I don't need forgiveness. No, we are all guilty of sin. We all need forgiveness. And so as Christians, we should celebrate this passage and say, yes, I, as a Christian, can speak of how good and blessed it is to be forgiven of my sin. And even from what we understand, and then we go on to describe David being silent about his sin and how he suffered in the midst of that, but then when he acknowledged his sin, God forgave him. Um, Most scholars think this text is like Psalm 51, likely referring to how David processed things after his sin with Bathsheba. And that was a sexual sin that David had committed. 
And that's where we should probably all look at ourselves with some level of humility. And how many of us can say that there is no guilt in any way in our lives or in our past in some kind of sexual sin? And the hope for us and the hope for this world is that there is forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus Christ. And so even as we look out at the world, even in the midst of some of these politically tumultuous times or some of the culture wars that rage specifically over some of these issues, we need to take a stand for biblical truth. And we should not back down from what Jesus clearly says about these issues. And at the same time, the message that we should be so eager to proclaim to the world is that there is forgiveness available in Jesus Christ. And no matter where someone is is coming from, all who call on the name of the Lord, all who, like David says here, acknowledge their sin and confess it to God and look to him can find forgiveness and grace and transformation through God. That is the good news. And so may we also never back down, never pivot from proclaiming that, that there is forgiveness of sins to be found in Jesus Christ for any who would repent and believe. May we also have our resolve strengthened in that. Next, I want us to talk about the book of Numbers and give you a little introduction to the book of Numbers. I think the book of Numbers may be the most poorly named book in the entire Bible. And remember, these names that we have in our English Bibles for the books of the Bible were not inspired. And I think Numbers is a particularly bad name. I mean, Numbers, people just think of this as a boring book because of the name numbers. And in the first chapter that we read today, in the second chapter, we see a a census, a numbering of the people. Well, the numbering we see at the beginning and towards the end of the book is for a purpose. And really, I I think a, a name like armies or something like that, that had a military feel to it would be a better name for this book, because this is a book about going to war. Even as you read chapter one and you go through and you see it, it basically is a listing of numbers, a report from a census. Notice as they go through and number each tribe, it describes those that they are counting as every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. So this isn't just a counting of people. This is a counting of soldiers. They are preparing to go to war into the promised land. And also, I I often say that numbers is a bad name for the book because it's like naming a sandwich after the bread that it's on. We don't do that. We name a sandwich after the meat that's in the middle of the bread. And really, the numbers of this book, it's the bread. It's the census at the beginning and the census at the end, right? The numbers that that kind of bookend this book that it has been named for. But the meat of the book is in the middle. And the meat of the book has to do with this idea of going to war. And we're going to see kind of the pivot point of this whole book is when we get to chapters 13 and 14. And the people are supposed to go to war, but they don't. Because they are afraid and the 10 spies lead them astray. That's a crucial point in this book. And I think some name that had to do more with that moment and armies and faith and all of that would be uh, more telling of what this book is really all about. So even as you read chapters one and two, and maybe you do struggle through just a lot of numbers and lists, what this is, it's a counting of soldiers. 
It's finding out how many men are going to fight in the nation of Israel. And then chapter two, how are we going to arrange these soldiers? How are we going to arrange this camp as it travels and as it prepares to go to war? And so we're going to see more on that theme as we continue in the book of Numbers. But don't let the name lull you to sleep. Numbers is a very incredible book. And we're going to find some amazing lessons that should strengthen our own faith as well. Finally, we look at Acts chapter 20 and just verses one through six today, which really record some of Paul's travels as he goes from Ephesus, then through Macedonia and Greece, and he's traveling here. And we also see some persecution here as uh, there is a threat that comes on or a plot that was made against him by the Jews. And so he returns through Macedonia. He has to change his plans uh, because of this threat against him, but we're going to get into really some of the last pieces of some of his public ministry and his regular missionary journeys as we continue on in Acts chapter 20. But may we be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ and be true to everything that he wants us to proclaim. May we not back down from the clear teaching of Jesus on topics that are at the forefront of our culture, and may we also make it our mission to trumpet the good news that there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that anyone can know the blessing of having their sins forgiven. And may we worship God ourselves for that today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.